Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and happy Valentine's Day. It's Monday. We don't usually do shows on Monday, but because it was Valentine's Day, I decided to change it up a little bit and send out, you know, the usual happy Monday to everyone that we would do. Um, I'm flying solo today, so this is Michael. Um, I'm going to jump right into our guest here, so I'd like to welcome Laurelyn Means uh, to drive through. Welcome to drive through HR, Laurelyn. How are you doing today? Hey, Michael. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things I'm actually not that much into this year, but uh, you know we'll 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 make the best of it. So to, let's just get started into the show. Um, my co-host Robin has been on a bit of a hiatus, and she didn't join us today, so I'm assuming that's continuing. Um, so I'm, we'll we'll fly solo. So I'll be doing all the questions. But welcome to Drive Through. Thanks for being our guest. For the, to get us started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about what you do for our listeners? Sure. I mean, that's you know one of the questions everybody likes. Like, right, tell me about yourself, right? Who doesn't like to get into right. that? So, <laughs> but I'll keep it short. The thing is, is that way back in the day, not going too far, I always wanted to be a journalist and an author. But the problem was my parents said, you need a real degree, Laurel. And so I did three. I did a double major in biology as a bachelor of science honors, a master of science in physiology. Then I did a PhD in molecular biology, ripping bugs apart to try to genetically engineer them so that they couldn't spread malaria anymore. I didn't know it at the time, but I was really a social entrepreneur, like I cared about causes. I knew it was an egalitarian and, you know, one for all and all for one kind of thing, but didn't really get that. And then, you know, I went into tech. And I always loved the whole tech side of things, Silicon Valley, trying to solve really tough problems using technology to do that. And that got me jazzed because the whole energy of startups and all that sort of stuff. And over the course of my career, I worked as an executive for three Fortune 100s doing market research and trying to figure out what is it the customers want? How do you get to that bleeding edge and that leading edge by bringing in new technology and new innovation? So I led those kinds of efforts. But I also worked several startups in between, and I just never lost that bug. Finally, kind of everything came together here a few years ago when I fulfilled my lifelong dream of becoming an author and a journalist. Mm -hmm. And my parents support me on that, which is nice. But Mm -hmm. it showed me that I really wanted to do something more and that I was looking around at what students had and didn't have. And they didn't have access to all the soft skills training because everything's all STEM, STEM, STEM now. Solve another problem. Here, right. here you're going to be able to, you know, do this Diffy Q. You're going to need to know this, right, for the rest of your life. Calculus is so important. But the real stuff wasn't being taught. And I thought, ah, I'm going to combine everything I've ever done. What if I had had more coaching as a young teen and as a student saying, do this, not that? What if... I'd had access to some of these courses and opportunities to really guide me in what I could do and what I should do based on what I was passionate about doing and good at doing. And I thought, you know what? The world needs an academy, a talent development academy. So I launched Dearest. So long answer, but there you go. Nice. So is there a specific uh, meaning behind Dearest? I was curious when I saw the name. Is Is it an acronym for something or is it representational in some way? Well, it's the whole thing is that if people had a North Star to to follow, so what direction they should go, mm-hmm. 
you know, that's oh, gotcha. that steering. Okay. So we started playing with that and we're all navigators. It's steer us and us. It's like, it's we, it's an us, uh, very much a, right. a unified and group effort. And the steering, the whole thing is you drive, but we'll steer. You're still in the driver's seat. You're in control. I saw the, I saw the, I guess, slogan or mission phrase or whatever you want to call it that, that you, you steer will drive. And I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I got a couple, uh, we'll get into steer us directly and some of the work you do in just a second, but I got to go. So over the course of, you know, many years in human resources, I've heard all kinds of different stories about how people, you know, stumbled their way into the HR space or, you know, kind of unexpectedly did, were doing one thing and got asked to go do HR. But I have to admit, I haven't run across a lot of molecular biologists who found their way into the HR space, you, you know, even, even in the training side. So, so I'm, I'm really curious about with, your, with your, your very diverse background, and of course your writing and other things, I'm really curious about what you see that from that background that translates into the, into the training and the soft skill stuff that you do. How did, how did that, how did all that prepare you to come into this space of all things? I've always been a communicator and an educator, spending a lot of time on campuses, working with college and university level students and communicating technical concepts to lay audiences or business audiences with respect to Mm -hmm. the jobs that I had. So I was always in that space, you know, with training, all of that kind of thing. And where I came to, like I said, pull it all together, having done market research throughout my career, having created training materials and content and things, and connecting with the audience, that younger audience, I thought, well, this just seems like a, a natural fit. So we're not really in the business of HR itself, but in talent development, looking at people mm-hmm. as individuals, figuring out what they need, and providing them with something that's personalized that meets their specific needs to help move them forward and just do it all in a fun way. You know, so that's, that's how it came together. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, HR is such an all encompassing kind of terminology and yet there are some, some, I guess, I don't want to call them stereotypes. It's not exactly the right word, but there are some perceptions, you know, that we only do certain things, but coaching, training, development, all of those certainly fall, you know, within, at least in my uh, own definition of what HR encompasses will definitely fall into the space. They're, they're uh, very discrete functions, but they all have applic- applicability. So, so let's jump for a minute. Uh, I, I'm always fascinated with creative people and I've, I've, uh, I harbor a dream of writing a book, but I, I don't know that it'll ever find its way out of my head. Um, I've had like 10 years of writer's block uh, but let's, tell us about your writing and what you, what you've written about, and just and just share that part of your story for a minute. So I've ghostwritten a couple of memoirs for people who have been struggling mm-hmm. with difficult things and trying to figure out a way and to provide that catharsis for them. So that's one, two books there. I, I helped another client of mine work through her book all about getting funded and being in that investor space and working as a startup mm-hmm. on how to secure funding. And then I've written a few on my own as well. One of them being this uh, book that was about, again, a memoir about a dear friend of mine who passed a few years ago now, but she was one of the mavericks in the Big Apple at the time. She was creating what were then salacious perfume ads 
and that whole mm. Mad Men era of the three martinis for lunch and the craziness and the hijinks that happened, you know, behind the closed doors, all of that stuff. And so I wrote her memoirs and, and actually won a national gold uh, medal for an indie book award for that. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. And it was an incredible story and opportunity to be able to pull that together for her and, and gave that as a gift. I read her passages uh, on her deathbed, really. She died a couple of days later after I shared the finished book mm. with her. So that was uh, very special. And then at the start of the pandemic, I wrote a book because I was so outraged by the nonsense that was going on and the back and forth between the then administration and the scientists. And, um, you know, it was stated by the, the head of the scientific community that said, look, you just can't disparage all of the scientists for year after year and then, boom, snap your fingers and expect a command performance when the chips are all down. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's the book that needs to happen because scientists are terrible about marketing themselves. So I wrote a book called um, The Battle for Humanity, How Science Saved Us. And it's a prediction <laughs> that's all data-informed. Again, you know, I'm a bit of a science wonk there, where just about every prediction that I made about what's going to happen in the sort of the two years here around COVID has happened. Because you can just, the, the science well, dictates that it's going to go down that way. And it did. I uh, I have to say that I would never have foreseen protests on the U.S.-Canadian border. I used to live in Detroit, so the Ambassador Bridge, which is, I'm very familiar with it, driven over many, many times. I've, I've never thought I would see protests, uh, you know, between the U.S. and Canada over mask mandates and vaccine mandates and stuff. It just never would have occurred to me, and yet it's a very uh, daily conversation in our lives, amongst many others wrapped around that. Um, and and if there was somebody I would not want to be today, it would be Dr. Fauci. I would that what a what a what a life that guy's had to have over the last couple of years. So um, we, we I, I try not to dwell on COVID because it can become like uh, every show, right? So congratulations right. on writing that book. I love I love the topic, but we're here to talk about soft skills. So I'm going to transition away. Um, I looked at some of your. Uh, I mentioned to you that I have kind of a personal situation going on, so I wasn't able to get quite as deep as I normally would on a guest. Um, but I did look at some of your stuff last week, and then again quickly this morning, and I ran across. The, I think it was on LinkedIn, but I ran across something that was entitled uh, "Hey Snowflake, she's ready to have the talk you've been waiting for," something like that. And so let's let's jump, into, <laughs> let's jump into the let's jump into the work of Spheris, which is really helping to identify, I think, some. Um, maybe missing skill sets uh, involving soft skills and social skills in younger generations, which sounds presumptive coming from somebody who's a boomer in 64, but I, I'm not trying to blast anybody. That's, that's what you guys do. So let's talk about how you got there and, and what that looks like at a high level, and then we'll get into a little bit more specifics around the type of stuff you train on. Sure. So a, a couple of things. Labels are dangerous but everybody needs to be associated with something. And then there's a bell curve to everything, right? People fall on the front to the end of the curve or there's kind of the vast majority and that vast majority sort of what leads to the label. I didn't make the label snowflakes, but people out there, the powers that be, the Twitterverse and all the rest of that has decreed that Gen Z is the snowflake generation because they melt with the Mm -hmm. least bit of heat. That's the whole Mm -hmm. thing. They've never been taught how to receive feedback. They've never been told, you're not good at that. You didn't do well. And so there's this whole false sense of expectations 
an entitlement where they think that, oh, okay, uh, I can move forward with this and just do this any way that I want because I've always been told I'm really good. I got a trophy for thinking that I wanted to compete. And, and again, like that's, you know, that, that's a bit tongue-in-cheek there. Where we're coming into all of this is bridging that and saying, hey, wait a minute, snowflake or not, that's not the, you never had the chance to learn this stuff in school because you had so much STEM thrown down your throats. They cut your art classes. They cut your music classes. They eliminated every way possible for you to be able to communicate in real life build friendships, you know, fight who's the king or queen of the castle today, right? Fight in the sandbox, define leadership roles, understand when it makes sense to follow, build social emotional connections and relationships. Governments took away social emotional learning with the exception of two states after grade six. So it's not their fault they don't know, no one taught them. So we're that bridge saying, hey, we get it. You didn't you know, you weren't taught these things in school, but you bring a lot of value. Gen Z is awesome. They're the first generation, right? Digital natives. They know how to do all these things that other generations don't know how to do. And so we're coming to that table representing both sides and saying, your management team doesn't know what to do with you because they were used to doing things a certain way, but you're coming to the table with a lot of skills and we got to bring that forward. So we're that bridge. What what are um, what are the specific kind of soft sorry not soft soft skills that 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 you focus on? Well, then a lot of people debate that too. Should they be called soft skills, power skills, emotional ingredients, human mm-hmm. skills, success skills, interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. skills? They're the things that endear people to us how we behave, how we engage, our body language, our communication, our verbal communication, our professionalism, our time management. Do we show up on time when we're the guest of a podcast? Do we follow up with thank yous and notes of appreciation? Do we know how to construct an email? Do we check our emails? Do we ghost Mm -hmm. people? All of these types of things that are happening, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, how do you get there? And it all starts with building self-awareness, the challenge is, is that so many people, again, bell curve, within this generation, haven't had a chance to just be paused and ask, what do you want? What do you, like, you know, how do we tease out what it is that you don't know that you don't even know? And that's really where we work with them. We have internship and new hire programs that are designed to assess what their gaps are in soft skills and then work our way through it with a personalized curriculum that says, oh, okay, time management, oh, Laurelin, we're going to work on that with you. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Here's some specific lessons. Here's some exercises. Here's some coaching. We'll nudge you along and make sure you really move that forward and advance it as a skill. Or it might be uh, critical thinking. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was just going to add- I, I think you may have partially answered the question I was going to ask. Um, we'll come back to critical, critical thinking in just a second. Um, so it, is it, is your, I guess I'm thinking of the curriculum itself, like how it's presented. Is it videos? Is it inter- Is it Zoom chats? Is it a coach one-on-one? What does your content look like? So it's all based on coaching principles and social emotional learning with scenarios, role playing, uh, engagement, and it's multimodal. So text, workbooks, interactive quizzes, games, videos, Zoom could be boosted by private one-on-one coaching, could be part of group coaching. So really it's a mixed bag by design 
so that we can mm-hmm. make it highly customized and tailored to that individual's needs or that individual organization's needs. And, and that was my other question. Uh, is, is your customer base more likely to be a, a company or is it an individual that comes to you or is it a bit of both? We are getting a bit of both, but where we're focused is working on the businesses that hire a lot of interns and routinely hire entry-level talent, like new hires. So when you start to get to those company sizes, you know, 40, 50 people to maybe 1,000 or so people, they don't have the same infrastructure to do the training and they need help with recruiting Gen Z because they're just not attracting enough of that talent. Those are the organizations that we help. Hey, here's our internship program. Here's our new hire program. Put them through. Highly affordable and effective. Okay. Um, let's go back to critical thinking for a second. Um, I, 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 when you said that, I, I thought to myself, hmm, I, I, I wouldn't really have thought of that as a soft skill. And I, it, and it, I think it's probably that sort of fluid definition that you talked about a minute ago. Um, critical thinking for um, for a younger person in the workplace. What does that entail and how do you help them with that specifically? So here's a couple of examples. So we work with a lot of interns, a lot of schools, dozens of colleges and universities and interns like every day, every week. And things like this will happen. Here, here's an example of an intern who doesn't display good critical thinking skills. I'll get a message, you know, from whatever means, Slack, WhatsApp, this, that. I mean, you know, I'm pinged six ways to sideways. And mm-hmm. get a message, um, you know, hey, I'm just thinking about, you know, this kind of stuff, and I'm thinking about if I should work on that or what else should I do. And I'm not even sure where to look. But meanwhile, if they had just scrolled up one message or looked at their email that I would have sent them for the start of the week, said, here's what you're going to be doing this week. Here's the assignment. Here's the priorities. Here's the goals. Here's the links. But they'll still write. And then so I'll reply back and say, okay, well, just just scroll up at the Slack line or whatever else. You'll see the outlines. You'll see the links. This is what I need. Have a review of that. Then let's spend some time together and I can address any questions. Then instantly, Mm -hmm. so clearly they haven't gone to look at the content or even the the email, the Slack, the post, whatever, whatever means by which I've communicated. And then they'll say, well, okay, so where can I find, you know, where can I find the, you know, the data, the page or whatever? It's like, oh, my goodness. Go read. And so the critical thinking element there, then we'll have a coaching session and say, when you're dealing with somebody that's in management, you want to make decisions. Am I using my time the best that I can? Am I using that person's time in the best that I can? Am I prepared? That's professionalism. And what could I do differently? How should I think and how should I approach this? Shouldn't I look through things on my own first before I go to someone? And any time I go to someone with a problem or a question, shouldn't I already come prepared with one potential solution or more? And then I can be guided as to which way to proceed. That's the conversation. And that happens a lot. Gotcha. It, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I find that issue is not generational in my own experience. I work in an organization that has probably five generations, you know, in large, large company. So I, you know, communicate a lot of different ways with a lot of different people. And I, it's, I I almost wonder in some cases if it's less generational and almost like built into the the way we communicate to your point a minute ago, Slack and all these other things. Because recently I had a conversation with someone where I found myself going, 
like, you know, spontaneously, I just spewed a question out through text or whatever platform I was on to somebody I hadn't talked to in a while, as if we had been carrying on this discussion for, you know, a couple of weeks in real life. So here goes the question. And then a minute later, I realized, oh, I probably should say hello and ask how she's doing. Because, you know, but no, I just sort of jumped right into a conversation. Uh, as it, you know, like, like I said, that was, and, and I wonder if sometimes that's not driven more by technology, that you feel like you can just touch people anytime than it is generational. I don't know if you have any opinions on that, but I would, I've been thinking about similar things in a different way recently. I do think that we've been conditioned, right? Like there's a Google for that or there's a text. You expect some sort of immediate right. answer because that's just what we've been right. conditioned. And so to your point, yeah, the technology and that brings this. And, it, and then it's less about like, more, it becomes more of a personal communication style Whereas you said you just jumped mm -hmm. kind of right into like, okay, like let's get this going versus like, hey, you know, Sarah, how are you? How are things going? How are the kids? You know, whatever else. Some right. people like and appreciate that, but it's also in this era where everybody is gigging it and they've got one, two, three side hustles. People aren't, they're not as interested in the pleasantries in that anymore. Like, let's just get it done. Mm -hmm. Here we go. And for a lot of people, that's okay. But where the critical thinking comes in is prepared to follow through and what this needs and what I really need versus I'm just trying to queue up something. I want this hoping that they just, you know, they've done it all for me. They've just figured out and they're going to give me this clear directive that comes back. Maybe not. If you're going to enter and engage, mm. you have to be prepared and have thought through what it is that's going to happen. What is this is potentially going to transpire or this. And am I ready for this? Oh yeah. I did read that report first. Jeez, it's going to come back. She's going to say what I thought about it, but I didn't read it yet. Mm-hmm. That's where the critical mm -hmm. thinking, I think, comes in. And, and I gotcha. do think it appears uh, across all ages. Again, a lot of this stuff isn't universal to Gen Z. The difference is, is that the older generations, it's not so much even their generation, but we as older people, we've had time to work through it. We've had those fights in the sandbox. We've done this. We've done that. We've learned by trial and error. And folks that are younger just haven't had enough time yet learning by trial and error. Okay. Um, interesting. There's a there's a situation going on. It started up in not exactly where you live because you're outside New York City, I think, um, but it started in Buffalo, New York, where Starbucks, which you know most people know, is experiencing a significant uh, amount of union organizing going on right now. Um, and all the anecdotal information and all the articles that are being published says it's being led by Gen Z who have a different perspective on what they expect from work and what they expect from their employer and how they should be treated and the kind of voice and say so they should have in their roles. And, you know, many, 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 many things that are very similar and, you know, to what you're talking about. So have you, have you identified other, you know, like, so that seems to me like, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, an entire grouping of in response that most businesses wouldn't expect these days. Have you identified similar uh, tendencies, like where they, they, ha they just look at work differently? Well, this is the whole thing, I think, with this generation, one of their hallmarks. We started to see it with the millennials, who, of course, were born of the boomers. So the, you know, the boomers, you mm -hmm. said your generation, Michael, like being sort of the most privileged and advanced and just really had tremendous success. And their children, the millennials, also known as Gen Y, grew up with that mm -hmm. kind of entitlement, but they started to really slip away and even bifurcate themselves into the older millennials and the younger millennials, but it's all been about experiential living. 
that they'd rather eschew owning a big house or you know, buy a tiny house or owning a car, like, hey, when you can Uber it, all this kind of thing, right? Millennials killed X, like that's the big joke. They've killed every industry. And so it wasn't a surprise that Gen Z, the next generation to follow through, who was born from Gen X, who was the first generation to be struggling with elder care and child care and layoffs and the parents, the moms who went back to work and the children were latchkey kids, all this sort of stuff. The first era where divorce was rampant, the first generation where people didn't work for the same company, you know, throughout their careers. And so Gen Z grew up seeing some of those struggles like in their parent base and said, yeah, it is all about experiential. It is about purpose. It is about spending my time really wisely. And what's coming from that is this movement, Tang Ping, also known as lying mm-hmm. flat and anti-work. Lying flat, Where people yep. are saying, mm-hmm. yeah, if I'm going to work, then I want to be compensated for my work. If I am going to do something, I want it to be important. And I want you to value what I have to say. This is also the generation, again, because they're you know, digital nomads. It's nothing to go online and send something up and create some kind of viral post because they believe wholeheartedly in you know, in their beliefs, their philosophies and ideologies, and they will find others like them because people have mm-hmm. been silent or taken advantage of for too long. They're very good at putting out boundaries and setting expectations. And this is why the management that's in place at the big companies who think old school ways are struggling with their recruitment of Gen Z because they're not fully prepared to bend to all of Gen Z's demands. Like, wait a minute, you're young, you have no experience yet, you have an opinion, But no, 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 no. You don't come in here and tell me how to do my job and how to run my company. But Gen Z wants to add value. They have different ideas and ways of doing things and creating channels for them. Well, the companies that do that or organizations, not just the companies, those are the ones that are going to benefit and be able to recruit more actively. We have less than four minutes left, which is unbelievable because there's so much more to talk (laughs) about. Um, So, Let's let's go back to Sierra. So so right now, understanding this, how how can you help employers solve that problem? If that if that's a fair question. Yeah, no, totally fair question. So from an intern package or a new hire package, really affordable because we've put so many of these lessons learned into asynchronous learning coupled with micro-coaching to nudge them along, we can get them ready so that they're productive for day one. You can start working with us in the pre-onboarding phase to make sure that you're not one of the 40% that are ghosted every day. We can help them get ready. What do you need to do? How do you respond to a meeting? How do you prepare? What if your boss does this? What if you don't do this? And just be that sounding board and that bridge for them to help them ensure that they have success in the transition and the companies benefit because they spend all this money and time and effort and and internal churn recruiting people, you know 40% are going to ghost you even though you gave them a job offer and you know that another 30% are just going to disappear within the first month because they just don't like your company or whatever and they'll just go away. So you're losing Mm -hmm. 50%. So we can help with that, creating those bridges and gaps and building in that success infrastructure. We're like that Swiss Army knife for Gen Z and for companies. But we're not one of the big, super complex, you know, Swiss Army knives, just enough of the basic tools to nudge you along and get you what you need. Great. Um, I wanted to, you, I, I, I ran across one, uh, I think it was your five trends for 2022, and you mentioned upskilling as being critical. I don't know if we can talk about upskilling in one minute, but can you 
Can you hit on that really, really briefly? That's right. Well, so people that are reentering talent, veterans, formerly incarcerated, folks like that, or even people that have been pigeonholed into a job where they've worked pretty much in isolation as an analyst or whatever, the opportunity to upskill and to understand what are those communication gaps and bridges and frameworks that they need to be able to better represent themselves and their ideas, how to put them forward, how to give and receive feedback. This is an opportunity for upskilling. These are the durable skills that you can take anywhere versus a perishable skill that you learn how to use the TPS machine and print a report every week. That's what we do. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Off the speech, guy? As you heard. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm laughing. Yeah. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't understand that the Coinbase uh, QR code commercial last night referred to an office episode. I wasn't a big office fan, so I wasn't that nerdy, but uh, apparently it was brilliant. I was like, why did they show mm-hmm. a QR code flying through the air? Anyway, we have a minute. I so couldn't catch for, it. I was up. trying to grab it with my phone. <laughs> yeah, I was with some other people, and they couldn't make it work either. Uh, I was thinking, what a dumb commercial, but it turns out there was more to it than I understood. Um, for, so, first of all, thanks very much for being our guest today. Thanks very much for sharing the information. It was a very, it was kind of a wide-ranging, but very interesting conversation to me anyway, and I appreciate you doing it. So, thanks for that. And to wrap up, um, why don't you share with our listeners who mostly come to us through downloads these days, where they can get in touch with you or where they could find uh, find out more about Steerus. Go to steerus.io. There's contact information there. I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. LinkedIn is myself, Laurel and Mears, and on Twitter as steerus. Have a look. I'd welcome feedback. And let's see if we can help you solve some of your recruiting and retention problems when it comes to Gen Z just by giving them that platform to be heard and training them to be more productive and effective from day one. Awesome. Again, thanks for being our guest today, Laura Lynn. I hope you have a great week, and I will end the call now and talk to you sometime down the road. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate the opportunity. You got it. Take care. Have a good week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.